0: Welcome to Full Circle Women's Health podcast, a podcast aimed at empowering women to better understand and manage their health. I'm Dominic Borm, a Women's Health GP, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Preetam Genu, gynecologist at Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynecology.
1: Welcome to Full Circle family. Full Circle Obstetrics and Gynecology is a specialised women's health practice in South Australia. It provides holistic care to women and girls of all ages and all backgrounds in all seasons of life. In our last episode we discussed about endometriosis a common cause of pelvic pain if you have missed our last episode please go back one episode and do listen about endometriosis but in today's episode we are going to explore more in general about the chronic pelvic pain or persistent pelvic pain so just to start with dominic quite often pain is defined as a unpleasant sensory or emotional experience. Mm. So pain quite often uh, has a tissue injury as a start, but then how our brain interprets it is how we feel the pain. Uh, and today we are going to discuss a bit more about the chronic pelvic pain. So typically we describe chronic pelvic pain is any pain, um, any chronic pain we talk about is pain which is lasting for more than three to six months. Quite often, a lot of people think it is non-cyclical pain, but in women with uh, endometriosis or pelvic pain, we quite often find that they may have a pattern of cyclical pain or non-cyclical pain. But if it is lasting more than three to six months, um, as I mentioned to you before, sometimes it has got a lot of layers Mm. and that develops into chronic pelvic pain.
0: Mm, that's right. So, really, chronic pelvic pain is an umbrella term, really, which describes pain in the pelvic region, which is anywhere between the belly button and the hips, and <laughs> um, which has been present most days for more than six months. That's what we'd call the the medical definition. But okay. I think your definition of you know pain, which can have cyclical components and has been there for months at least, is a really good summary. Yeah. And it's very common. So it affects about one in five women over the course of their lifetime. Um, And it can be very tricky to tease out the cause because usually there are several causes or several factors which contribute. So pain can be from pelvic organs such as the uterus or the tubes or ovaries or bladder or bowel, but can and usually does also include muscle overactivity as well as oversensitization of nerves in the area. And, of course, our mind and our body is so entwined and that chronic pain of any type really is very closely linked to mental health and we know that stress levels can really feed into and worsen pain as well. Yeah. So, Preetam, what are some of the symptoms which women often describe which might relate to some of those pelvic organs, which might be the original trigger of some of this pain?
1: Yeah. So when we're talking about the uh, chronic pelvic pain, so uh, when we talk about chronic, there's also uh, acute pain. So mm. acute pain is where pain is quite severe, but lasts only for a few hours, a few days, and it goes away. That is more acute pain. But chronic pain is sort of a, happening there for a long time. Typically, women we see in our clinic, pain has started as the period pain, as the first point or first start point sort of thing, which medically we call it as a dysmenorrhea. And the cause for period pain can be endometriosis or sometimes it can be primary dysmenorrhea or sometimes there can be some other cause like what we call as a cervical stenosis Mm -hmm. or or some other pathology like uh, pelvic inflammatory disease or infection. So in some patients, the pain starts with that point. In some other patients, there may be some other reasons. So in some patients, even pains may start after some traumatic incidents mm. or after a back injury, or even a traumatic birth experience can start the pain experience. And a lot of women try to put up with it for a long time. So even if this pain is happening every day, so period pains, which are more like a crampy pain, but apart from that, when women start getting dull aching pain or stabbing pain, which are like a different types of pain or even sometimes burning pain, they start developing a few other symptoms. Other typical thing women start developing is sometimes they have a lot of vaginal discharge or vaginal itching and burning and then pain during sexual intercourse. Um, some women also have a lot of uh, symptoms, bladder symptoms, mm. and typically they describe this as a, a recurrent urinary tract infection-like symptom. So they may have gone to their local doctor and had antibiotics for urinary tract infection, but when they check, there is no infection. But they're getting symptoms like increased frequency of going to the toilet. Sometimes they are waking up in the night to mm. go to the toilet, or sometimes they get a lot of pain if they don't go to the toilet in time or sometimes they find it really hard to open the bladder or bowel because it's very painful some other patients get like a lot of diarrhea and constipation Mm -hmm. or other symptoms commonly patients tell me is a lot of bloating like they feel like even when they're not pregnant they look like a pregnant Mm -hmm. lady so that's another symptoms and as you mentioned before that it causes a lot of stress and anxiety and typically women describe it as a distress. So mm-hmm. um, that affects their day-to-day life.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a nice summary of some of those maybe organ-based triggers for some of the pain. You know, maybe it's from the uterus or the ovaries or the tubes, or maybe it's bladder related initially or bowel related initially, or traumatic birth, as you said. And then, of course, there's vulval causes like perhaps thrush or recurrent thrush, and um, so whilst pain might initially start from an organ or one area or one type of illness, um, the muscles of the pelvic floor and the abdomen can really contribute to that pain. And our muscles, if we think about it, our muscles naturally tense in reaction to pain as a protective mechanism. But over time, if they keep getting fed these pain impulses, they can become overactive, and those overactive muscles can really contribute to ongoing pain. And so some clues that might suggest that those muscles are getting a little bit overactive might be women describing stabbing pain in the vagina or stabbing pain in the bowel with bowel movements or a generalized dull pelvic ache that's constantly there. Or as you mentioned, difficulty emptying the bladder because those muscles are too switched on to be able to release or often pain with sex or pain with tampons, pain with medical examinations. Um, and so another clue can be pain that might be worse with certain positions or pain that might be triggered by movement. And that's often a bit of a clue that it's not just to do with an organ, but those muscles are really becoming involved and, and we need yeah. to manage that muscle over activity.
1: So that's a very important point you mentioned about the muscle overactivity, uh, because quite often I describe it as a pain which we cannot see. Mm. Because a lot of women, like quite often I suggest that if someone had a fractured hand and they had a like a sort of a plaster uh, around it, everyone around them is very careful and taking extra precautions and being very kind to them. But if someone, women said that, oh, I'm having period pain and I can't work, even at the workplace, even women colleagues will think that, oh, they are doing a bit of a drama or mm. like even women herself feel very guilty that, oh, I'm not able to cope or if I'm weak and not able to do. So quite often women, when they get pain, they are sort of trying to find what is the cause. and. Unfortunately, when we do all the investigations, like as I mentioned before, that you do check for urine tract infection and it comes back normal. You go for ultrasound scan, it comes back normal. You go for blood test, you go, it comes back normal. And you get worried that, is it all in my head? Mm. Is it something wrong with me that I'm feeling so much pain? And that time it is really important to understand that there is some pain, which is genuine pain, but which we cannot see.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that pain is quite often what I describe as pelvic floor muscle spasm or muscle-related pain. So just to break it down, pelvic floor is like a group of muscles. So quite often I describe it's like a bowel sort of thing. And all our organs, internal organs are sitting there. So we have got bladder in front, then uterus and bile behind. Now, anywhere in our body, if we have any pain sensation, so if our uh, brain gets a message that there is some pain, the first response from our brain is to send message to surrounding muscles to move away from that pain. Mm-hmm. But in pelvic floor, they particularly can't move away, so they get tight. And over the time they get so tight that they can't relax properly Mm. and cause pain in itself. So initially, even if it is first protective response, later on, it becomes the cause of pain Mm. in itself. So that is one of the common cause and can present, as you described, in various forms. It seems
0: really unfair, doesn't it, that this defense mechanism of our body can in itself cause that problem to worsen over time. And it's interesting because our nerves can have a really similar response and can become oversensitized and overactive as a pain response. And we call that medically central sensitization. And we know that the nerve pathways, they physically change in response to pain, and then they start sending pain signals back to the brain, even when a trigger might have resolved. So a really good example of that might be a woman who's had an episode or a few episodes of thrush, for example, and then her vulva, those nerves, they might become quite sensitized so that even light touch can start feeling like a burning discomfort and repeated swabs might show that there is no infection there and a woman might feel really frustrated and really lost with that pain and might start thinking, you know, is it all in my head? What's going on here? But actually there are real physical changes which have occurred and it's not all in a woman's head, but it is important that we try to break it down and and look at it from different angles and not just purely thinking, Is it an infection? If there's no infection, there's no problem. Yeah, so
1: that's a really good uh, point you mentioned because in pain science, um, traditionally we always had what we call as a biophysical model. So we used to think that if there's a pain, what is the biological reason for that one? Mm. But that concept has changed now and we quite often now look at a biopsychosocial and physiological model. So what it means is um, it is biological cause, but over the time, there are a lot of other factors which can affect pain. So typically with the nerve pain, when nerves have become very sensitive. And even if the initial trigger has resolved, has shooting messages in mm. all directions, quite often this nerve-related pain is more when patient is very stressed or tired or exhausted. And the nerve chemicals which carry this message are very similar, which are Uh, released in anxiety and depression Mm. so quite often these patients can have associated anxiety and depression as well.
0: Mm. That's true and as you said earlier unfortunately this whole issue of pelvic pain persistent pelvic pain and chronic pelvic pain especially is often hidden from view and women might feel embarrassed or scared to bring it up with family and friends or health professionals and unfortunately Often have had experiences where their symptoms are invalidated because they look well or because previous tests have been normal. And so these women often do start to withdraw more from their normal activities and from social activities or sports or even study and work. And of course, that in itself can really uh, lead to issues with self confidence and increase those rates of anxiety and depression. And um, so it's something which, you know, there's all these different factors going on which we. You need to think about and try to support a woman in a really holistic sense? Absolutely.
1: So that's important thing uh, I think I would like to say, that yes, it is uh, sometimes quite a difficult situation because of our fragmented care, mm. uh, healthcare system. But good news is it can be treated. Yeah, And we need a holistic approach, but quite often once we know how what's the cause of the pain and can treat it in time, it makes
0: a huge difference. Mm. And I think the best sort of approach is that team-based care. And so often um, it might mean trying to draw together as part of that team a few different types of health professionals, not in a way to fragment care further, but to try to support women not only with their medical needs, but also you know looking at the muscle down training or the pain psychology. And so that might include involving a GP, a gynecologist or a urologist, Uh, really importantly, a a good pelvic floor physiotherapist who can work with a woman to downtrain those muscle activity um, and sometimes a dietician, sometimes a pain psychologist or a pain physician. Yeah. So yes, multidisciplinary team
1: is very, very
0: important. Um, And as we
1: mentioned about the muscle and nerve-related pain, I just want to highlight also that quite often when women have a central sensitization or when their nerves become sensitized, quite often they develop some secondary type of pain and one of the common pain which we see in patients of endometriosis is irritable bowel syndrome. Mm. Now, irritable bowel syndrome, you know probably from your side as well, is diagnosis of exclusion. What it means is we do... lot of other investigations to make sure patient doesn't have a celiac disease or food intolerance and their pattern of their symptoms Um, not any other bowel pathology and if, if everything is excluded then we consider that they have got irritable bowel syndrome and almost 50% of women who have endometriosis also have irritable bowel syndrome. And we think it is because of the central nervous sensitization. Similarly, a lot of women who have central nervous sensitization or where whose nerves have become sensitive over the time can also develop migraine mm. headaches. So it is not probably not directly related to pelvic pain, but they can have this pain tendency along with. Or some women have also have overactive bladder syndrome. Mm. But yes, um, multidisciplinary team is very important. Quite often GP is the first point and uh, women's health GP is a great resource to start with. Then they need to see gynecologists sometimes to rule out that there is no endometriosis or sometimes to uh, control their periods and period related problems. Then we look at if they have like overactive uh, or pelvic floor muscle spasm, then physiotherapist who can help with the down training or relaxation of pelvic floor muscle is really, really important. Similarly, if they're diagnosed with uh, irritable bowel syndrome, sometimes uh, seeing a dietitian who can guide them through the diet and find out what is the trigger point is very important Mm -hmm. Um, in some patient just like not in some patient but overall i find that there is such a huge burden of this pain condition uh, that that affects the day-to-day life and quite often seeing a psychologist who can give our some tools how to manage pain is also really important Um, similarly in some patient if they have a chronic pain for a long time they also have a chronic fatigue mm. or fibromyalgia which is another pain condition and they may need to see pain pain physician who has been specialized in management of pain so it needs a multidisciplinary treatment and when when patient works on all these specialists quite often I suggest that patient is like a captain of the ship so they can decide what they want to achieve and how they can achieve sort of thing. And it
0: definitely makes a huge difference. Mm, that's right. I think that's a really good um, analogy. I often say to my patients that they're the bus driver. <laughs> so we've got lots of transport going on there. So yeah. if we think a bit about how we can help support women with their various symptoms, um, I think let's break it down into a few different common um complaints or or descriptions of pain. So last week we did talk quite a bit about dysmenorrhea, which is painful periods. And so I don't think we need to go in depth into that today. Uh, But broadly speaking, that's something that we often try to help women manage both with anti-inflammatory medication, hormonal suppression, perhaps with contraception or consider laparoscopy if we're looking to exclude something like endometriosis. And what about bladder symptoms how can we help support women with their bladder symptoms, both from lifestyle approach and maybe some medication approaches?
1: So it depends on their symptoms sort of thing. But as I said, quite often women have like increased frequency or um, increase um, like symptoms, like they're getting urinary tract infection mm. sort of thing, or, or uh, they get pain sort of thing. So they are very different symptoms. Quite often we call it as an overactive bladder syndrome or painful bladder syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, as a combination of these symptoms. So, first we try to exclude that there is no infection mm-hmm. because if there is a urinary tract infection, definitely they need to have a treatment or antibiotics related to that one. Then we also try to look at um, if there is any trigger like sort of uh, uh, foods with a lot of chemicals or citrus food or fizzy drink, if that is causing them trigger, then we try to suggest them to avoid that. We suggest them to be hydrated, so drink plenty of fluid and look after their bladder, have a regular, Mm -hmm. what we call as a bladder training, so going to toilet regularly, so good bladder habits sort of thing. Similarly, in patients, we also suggest them to um, sometimes, if the symptoms are affected their day-to-day life, we'll start looking at some treatment options to sort of just uh, calm down this bladder. So, quite often, this overactive bladder syndrome is because their nerves are sen- sen- sensitive and they are giving them message that they need to go. To to empty the bladder mm-hmm. even when bladder is not full. Or sometimes their muscles are very tight and that's why they feel like they need to go all the time. So, seeing a physiotherapist helps a lot. Or we sometimes look at the nerve pain medication, which we commonly describe as NDEP or mm-hmm. amitriptyline. Um, the, when they go to the chemist, sometimes they may say that this is an antidepressant medication. And quite often I describe that dose for antidepressant is very high, which is around 100 to 150 milligram. For nerve pain or for the bladder symptoms, we use 5 to 25 milligram, which is a very small dose. So we suggest them to start with a half tablet each night and that helps to calm down their mm.
0: symptoms. Yeah. yeah, I think that, that type of medication, the nerve type medications, can be really helpful tool for multiple um, complaints in, in this persistent pelvic pain, just because it helps Wind down that nerve overactivity, and it doesn't mean it's forever, but it can be a helpful thing until we're able to get on top of it. Um, maybe with some of those other modalities like pelvic floor physio. And um, I think thinking about the vulvo-vaginal region as well is really important, and um, because that's often an area which is involved with persistent pelvic pain, and that might be feelings of burning or constant itching around the vulva or vagina. Um, and so starting you know, by avoiding irritants is really important. And so I always counsel my patients not to use soap, particularly not in that area, but instead mm. use gentle washes, for example, QV or Dermavene yeah. And when you're washing the genital regions of the vulva, just use water and certainly nothing inside the vagina. And, mm. of course, we would want to exclude infections such as thrush by doing some swabs. And if there is... Growth of thrush, and that's something that does grow on multiple swabs. Sometimes we do treat women with antifungal medication to try to suppress that, um, sometimes for as long as six months to try to get on top of that recurrent thrush. Um, but topical or tablet NDEP or amitriptyline is another tool that can be really helpful for this vulvodynia, uh, which is pain, nerve type burning pain around the vulva. Um, and that can be a really helpful tool again to wind down that nerve overactivity in that local region. Um, yeah. Okay.
1: So that's a really good, like you mentioned about the vulvodynia. Uh, but um, and you covered most things. But I just want to add two things: is some women also have uh, skin conditions mm-hmm. like uh, chronic dermatitis, or and it may be allergy to pads they have been using or. Uh, clothes they are using. Or sometimes they have another condition, which we call as a lichen sclerosis, mm. which causes intense itching and burning. But as a response to that, sometimes they start developing um, quite a lot of vulval pain as a response of tight pelvic floor muscles. So it is really important to look, look for that. Uh, similarly, with the uh, recurrent thrush or recurrent vulvovaginitis, they sometimes need a long-term treatment, as you mentioned, some, up to six months to suppress those symptoms and need to look at if there is any risk factors that's causing it to stop that because that can start the treatment. Uh, Other important thing with the vulnerable symptoms I would like to highlight is um, a lot of women also develop the painful sexual intercourse and that affects their relationship and uh, sometimes their partner thinks that they are trying to avoid them and Mm -hmm. it becomes like very stressful for women to go through that and I think it's really important to have awareness of that and like explaining to the partner what's going on and sometimes I suggest uh, my patient to take their partner to physiotherapy or with them to understand why they're getting so much pain or irritation and what can be done
0: to help with that. That's true and it's so important to have good communication as a a major part of uh, managing this communication both with a health professional and with family but really communication with a partner because we don't want women to be feeling that they need to put up with pain, particularly painful sex. Um, and trying to push through painful sex is only going to feed into those muscles getting tighter. So communicating clearly with a partner, um, you know, that if something is painful to stop and slow down. And sometimes that means taking sex off the table for a little while. And um, our pelvic floor physio that I worked with for a little while had a wonderful description of talking about the menu of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the special, which is, sexual intercourse isn't available tonight and um, doesn't mean it's not going to be available in the future but exploring that that sexual yeah. intimacy in other ways yeah um, and it can be helpful to talk to a sexual health counselor as well yeah um, as part of the management
1: that that's a really good point you mentioned i, I used to work with one of the um, clinical psychologists and sex therapist and in her talk uh, she quite often used to describe that there are like a for your six different ways of love making and you can sometimes explore um non-invasive or, or uh, different non-penetrative. non-penetrative sex yeah yeah uh, and i think it's
0: yeah. it's good to think broadly um, and as you've been saying we always want to start from first principles and be making sure we're looking for signs of diseases or 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 um, issues that need treatment for example like sclerosis so having a gp or a gynecologist that you're comfortable with and comfortable with that continuity of care because this is something that might need a bit of nutting out over multiple visits Um, and then just gradually peeling back the layers that might be involved in contributing to some of this pain. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that will um, go away overnight, but as you've said, it can improve and it will improve with some of those treatment options. Definitely. Definitely
1: definitely it makes a huge difference so quite often i say to the patients that even if i have seen them for like a chronic pelvic pain when they were maybe at uh, their lowest point or something but as i've seen many patients i have seen in them in their highest point as well Mm. when they have been completely pain-free or they've been successful having babies or whatever they want to achieve in their life so it goes in waves but yes it can be improved and it's really helpful
0: Mm. yeah And I think a a good example of this is I'm thinking of a patient I've been seeing recently was a lovely lady who has had lots of struggles with a few different medical issues. You know, she had pretty severe OCD and mental health uh, concerns and she came a long way in managing that. But one of her other issues was she had terrible vaginismus, which is severe pain with sex and, and really relating to that, those tight muscles in the pelvic floor. And despite that, she was in a wonderfully supportive relationship, and she was able to communicate really clearly with her partner and work together with a pelvic floor physio at gradually easing those pelvic floor muscles and how tense they were. And to the point that she was then able to start having penetrative sex and happily has fallen pregnant Wonderful. and now is working with a pelvic floor physio through her pregnancy. To make sure that she's feeling comfortable around that delivery plan going forward, yeah. and it's just been such a such a wonderful process to be involved in her care and seeing her gain confidence and hope as things have improved. Yeah,
1: yeah that is wonderful. That's good, and like it's good to see, as you said, that change happening mm. and women taking initiative and looking after themselves. Yeah.
0: So I think a lot of women want to, you know, really be actively involved in their care. Of course they do. And so something that I often talk to patients about that can be a helpful place to start is keeping a bit of a pain diary because that can really be helpful in giving us clues as to some of the different triggers and um, contributions to their pain.
1: Yeah. So pain diary is very, very important even before you come to see the doctor or even after starting the treatment. Because as we described with the chronic pelvic pain, there are a lot of different types of pain. So there may be pain which are related to period, which is cramp sort of thing. Sometimes there may be some st- stabbing pain, some other back pain. And even if they note down just at the end of the day what, what they thought was the cause of the pain and what how much is the pain, uh, it makes the huge difference in the management because sometimes we start with one treatment option and that may take away some part of the pain but not Completely everything, but we know that that is working, and we can look at something else. And nowadays, there are some apps available. Like everything has got app now, (laughs) so there is an app called as a Map My Pain, where you can like note it down. There are period apps as well. Similarly, I have seen patients having their own Excel sheet and Mm. diaries and things like that. But that gives a very clear idea to the healthcare professional instead of just saying that I'm in, always in pain. If they have a clear idea that around this time you get this type of pain or this type of pain, they can treat it much better.
0: And it can be helpful to look back on and see how far you've come with your pain and, and really see that evidence because at times it can feel like things aren't improving and you can feel quite hopeless. Mm. But having that pain documented, you can really see. well, look, Things are improving and it's not perfect yet, but we're really working on on getting to that good functioning day to day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That It is really important to celebrate those small wins mm. because otherwise it seems like too overwhelming or too difficult sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So I think some great resources that women uh, might benefit from checking out are the Pelvic Pain Foundation website, which we mentioned last episode as well. Um, there's a great book by Dr. Susan Evans all about pelvic pain. Um, and I think the the short summary booklet is available for free online, but the full text is a fantastic resource.
1: Yeah. So Pelvic Pain Foundation, it's like a sort of a really good resource with a lot of experts' advice. Uh, quite often uh, I suggest to a patient to look at the endometriosis and pelvic pain booklet, but there are some stretches they can uh, sort of a uh, start doing by themselves. Um, There is also uh, some general information about the things we discussed like overactive bladder or amitriptyline and things like that. So that's really helpful. There is some guide about the um, Teenage symptoms as well. Mm-hmm. That whether it is really pain and things like that. So really good resource. Other thing I find that um, like I'm a bit old-style reading books <laughs> <person>. <laughs> So there is some nice book called as a Protectometer, which talks more about the pain science, how our brain works when we get pain. Uh, another book I really liked is called uh, Painful Yarns So it talks about different types of chronic pain and managing pain, how we can do it. And there is like sometimes pain patients find that with over the like over the years, if they are getting a lot of chronic pain and difficulty getting help over the years, sometimes it can be a bit costly. So Mm. I think it is really important that patients develop their own awareness, have their own systems to manage the pain and look at the good support. And the online resources, as I mentioned, with the book and website is really good. But uh, Macquarie University has developed. pain course, which patient can access over the period of six weeks, mm. where they understand the pain a bit more and have different tools to manage their own pain. And as I mentioned in last episode, the Robinson Institute in Adelaide, they are developing a digital resource for management of pain, which I'm really looking forward to.
0: Yeah, that'll be fantastic. And I, and I think just a fantastic tool to help continue to empower women to really take control of their own health.
1: Other thing I really want to highlight is um, like we talked about different uh, like multidisplay uh, management, but also we need to look at some uh, natural resources we always have available. So mm-hmm. I usually say that when we talk about chronic pain management, lifestyle changes is very, very important. So what I mean by lifestyle is having regular exercise, healthy diet, stress management, good sleep. Um, So when we talk about exercise, um, quite often when we do exercise, our body secretes what we call as endorphins which is like one of the strongest pain relief medication. So I quite often say that even if you do exercise for half an hour or 80% of what you think you can do, Mm. it is like opening your natural drug cabinet and having some pain relief for yourself. (laughs) Um, Similarly, if you have a a healthy diet, what I mean by depending on your pain symptoms, if you look at the diet, what triggers your pain and what you can exclude and what you can help manage symptoms, that can make a huge difference. And we all know in our day-to-day life, there are lot of different stress um, and there's no magic tablet to cure that but we all need to take some I think positive efforts to control the stress and quite often I suggest to look at uh, different apps for meditation or yoga and there are a lot of different options like this app like Calm Mm. or Insight Timer uh, which can help you to calm down Mm. and that can help.
0: And I think practicing all of those things whether it's looking after good sleep habits, doing some mindfulness uh looking at a little bit of exercise or changing small things in diet we want to start with small changes and just build on it gradually and do it consistently and that just gives you that that good toolkit that you can keep drawing upon so that your cup doesn't run empty
1: absolutely the consistently, that word is very important. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> it
0: can be hard to keep the motivation going. But just, just small things every day and then it becomes a habit that you can build on.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that would be really helpful.
0: So I think mm-hmm. that's probably a pretty good place to leave things today, free time. Yeah. Hopefully this has been a helpful tool for some of our listeners. And if it has been helpful, please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions, message us on our Instagram, Full Circle Podcast or email us at fullcirclewomenshealthpodcast at gmail.com.